Well, good morning again. Glad you guys are here. Uh, this talk is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to be talking about the supernatural, what happened at Jesus' death. And there's a lot of strange things that happened when he died. And I want to take that as a, as a kind of leapfrog into the supernatural that I believe is coming into our world as we get closer to the end of the age. And we're going to be talking about uh, Jonathan Kahn's book, uh, Return of the Gods. So it may seem a little weird to you. I'm weird, so you get to hear weird. Uh, there's strange stuff that is happening, and it's going to be happening in our world, and I think we should be prepared for this. He has an excellent book. It is in the library if you want to get more information on it. There is a handout. If you have not taken a handout today, you may want one because they, I have all of that outlined uh, for you, and I think it would be good for you to have to keep the show friends and that sort of thing. Uh, again, it's Return of the Gods, and it's out on the uh, handout is out in the, in the foyer. And also, if you took one, it will be at the last page in, in your notes for today. So with that, if you would stand for reading of the Word of God, supernatural and Jesus' death. And there's going to be some strange things that happen. Graves open, dead people come out, earthquakes, darkness over the face of the earth, rock splitting, strange stuff. Let's pick it up in verse 51. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion, those with him who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, were looking on from afar among whom were Mary, of Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. This is the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for the precious, inerrant, infallible word of the living God that we have the opportunity to study today. Lord, I must confess, there's weird stuff that happened at Jesus' death, and I believe there's weird stuff that is going to come into our world as we rapidly approach the end of the age. Again, thank you for this time to study your word. Holy Spirit, for just a moment, may we cast aside all the concerns of the world and may we just rivet our attention on you and speak to our hearts and plant deeply your word and your principles into our being and may we be changed because we've come in contact with the living God today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As you know, the theme of Jesus is, the theme of Jesus is Jesus, but anyway, the theme of Matthew is Jesus is the promised king. Now, we know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We know the first three hours were the wrath of man being poured out on God, where Jesus took a, a, an incredible beating. We know that in Gethsemane, Jesus made this statement. Remember, Gethsemane is the oil press, the squeezing, when Jesus was squeezed, and he says, there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He knew that he had to go to the cross, but why the cross? It was necessary because there was no other way to free humanity from the grasp, the tentacles, the chokehold that Satan has on this world. Jesus is the only rescue, and he provided that rescue at the cross. He paid the ransom price for us, his body for our body. He, he took all the wrath of God that each, each one of us deserved. The sins of Adam 
all the way to the last person on the earth. All of the sins forever that have occurred in this world have been placed on Jesus. It was a dark hour. Those last three hours when darkness came over the face of the earth were the darkest times for Jesus. We're going to talk about that more in just a second. Now, in Gethsemane, there were hordes that came to take him. Now, in the spiritual realm, I can imagine at the cross, Satan and his demons were dancing a jig, thinking, oh, this is great, this is wonderful, we're getting rid of this Jesus character. You know, I don't think they understand exactly what was happening on the cross, or they would have not, he would not have had Judas betray him. He would not have had this push to get Jesus to the cross. I don't think he understood it. But also in the heavenlies, I can imagine at the cross, the angels before the throne of God are just wanting to get involved with this, saying, let me go, let me go, Father. Let me go down and, and rescue the Son. Let us go down and rescue the Son in His human form. Listen to this. In Matthew 26, 53, when Jesus was taken captive in Gethsemane, He said these words to His captors, Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father, and He'll provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? 72,000 angels, of which one angel killed 185,000 Assyrians in 2 Kings 19.35. I mean, these angels are powerful. They could have come down and done business, but Jesus had to die for the sins of the world. The supernatural events that occur demonstrate that Jesus' death was unique among all people that ever lived on the earth. Remember, crucifixion was common. 30, 40,000 people were crucified during the time of, of Rome's reign and their, their tyranny over Jerusalem. A unique death. No one like our Jesus. It started with the darkness. And I want to regret, digress a little bit to verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, 12 noon, until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. Now this is a supernatural darkness. This is not, a, not a, an eclipse which lasts about seven minutes. This is three hours when all the sins of the world were being placed on Jesus. A dark time indeed. Now when we say supernatural, we define it this way. An occurrence that can, cannot be explained by this world's laws of science. The natural law cannot be explained. Now if something cannot be explained by natural law, and there's an intervention of God into our world, we term this a miracle, a miracle, not a, not, a, not a chance or not something strange happened, but a miracle. God busted in. So three hours of darkness from 12 to 3 was supernatural, supernatural with darkness over the land. All the sins were placed on Jesus. Now, Jesus cries out from the cross. Remember, he has two cries at the end, the sixth and seventh cry from the cross. He says this, it is finished. The darkness, I believe the darkness at that point was supernaturally lifted. When he said it was finished, it is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. This whole thing was done. The penalty was paid for humanity. It is finished to telestai, paid in full. Now, important thing to remember is this. Jesus, in eternity past, is part of the Godhead. Part of the Godhead. The Holy Council. And they determined that Jesus would go on mission to this planet, saving humanity. You must realize, and we're going to talk about the Trinity here for just a second, so put on your thinking caps, deep subject, the Trinity. Remember, the Godhead is a complex unity. Now, what do I mean by that? Always in agreement, always on the same page. 
Never a thought independent of any other in the Trinity. Always working together cohesively like a unity we cannot imagine. But I want you to also think of this. It says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, when, we, when he appears, we will be like him. Now, we know that's a glorified body, okay? We know that when we get a glorified body, we're going to have expanded knowledge and, 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 and intellect and, and a perfect body and a perfect mind, and we'll be able to see things and understand things that heretofore were just foreign to us. But also it means this. Those who are glorified will enter in to that unity with the Godhead. We will be unified with God. Never, never will there be a rebellion in heaven against God. We are in a state of perfection, no longer temptable. So we will enter into that unity that we see in the Godhead. We're not going to be God for sure, but we will enter and enjoy that camaraderie that exists in the Godhead. So, thinking about that, God does not think sequentially or in response to an action. God has all knowledge and all thought always in his mind. Nothing new. We term this omniscience, all-knowing. Only God has this quality. Nobody else has this quality. Now, hear A.W. Tozer on this in his, in his book, Knowledge of the Holy. To say that God is omniscient is to say that he possesses perfect knowledge and therefore has no need to learn. God has never learned and cannot learn. This kills open theism, by the way, which says God learns and he, and he, he responds to situations as they occur. That's not true. Could God, he goes on to say, could God at any time or in any manner receive in his mind knowledge that he did not possess and had not possessed from eternity, he would be imperfect and less than himself. Nothing new comes into the mind of God. Nothing shocks God or takes God by surprise. We must understand with whom we are dealing with here. God is not like us. He is God. What does the scripture say? As high as the heavens are above the earth, my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. That's a pretty big distance. Okay, so we are not like God. God is a complex unity. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4, we have the Shema. Shema. Here, Shema, O Israel. The Lord Jehovah, our God Elohim, is one Lord. That statement makes a declaration that the Lord our God is one, Echad, E-C-H-A-D, one in complex unity. Now, we have a, a way that we understand the Trinity. Now, it's going to come up on the screen, and you've seen this before. This is not unusual. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not the Father, but there are three persons, one God, with these, these attributes. Now, I want you to think about this. God is distinct, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There is equality in the Godhead. All of them have, are all-powerful, omnipotent, every, everywhere present. The, all of them have these qualities that equal God, but one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, the next slide helps us understand this a little bit better. There's an overlap of this interdigation of the, of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this complex unity that exists. Now, when we say God so loved the world 
that he sent his only begotten son. It's the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit determining to send the Son, as best we can understand. It was always in the mind of God to save humanity. We, in essence, are saying that the Godhead is united to send the Son on a mission. On a mission. When Jesus came into the dark world, remember, Jesus is called the light of the world. The light of the world. John 8.12 says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The light of life. And John 1.4, In him was life, and his life was the light of men. The light of the world. God himself came to this form as a human, died on the cross for our sins. He bore the wrath of God. He overcame the darkness and Satan and the demonic realm. Now I have access to God because I believe the Son came and died for me, and now I have light. And now we are called, Jesus says in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You have a mission. You have light to give to this world, salt and light. Supernatural darkness was on the face of the earth from 12 to 3. Remember, supernatural cannot be explained by this world's laws or by any natural means. How about the veil being torn from top to bottom? Now, we see a veil. We think it's a little thing, a little paper mache thing. No, that's not what it was. Verse 51 to 53. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Weird stuff. And coming out of the grave after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Strange. Strange. Now, what's the big deal about the veil being torn? Well, first of all, it was a huge veil. Ritmer Archaeological Design says this. The veil separated the holy place from the holy of holies. It separated people from being in the presence of God. That curtain, one day a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest could go in, sacrifice a goat. A goat would be sacrificed, and the blood would be put on the mercy seat to atone for the sins of the nation for that year. Now, the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies was 69 feet high, 34.4 feet wide, and tradition says it was four inches thick. The scripture doesn't say that, but tradition. Josephus, the Jewish historian, reported the veil was four inches thick, was renewed every year, so he had a new veil, didn't get all rotten and and, and, and easily to tear, and that horses tied to one another could not pull it apart. Then he goes on to say this, it took 300 men to put that veil into place. Tearing this veil was impossible from a human perspective. It was supernatural. Now, think about the priests doing their daily work, and then the veil starts to tear. All the way down. Can you imagine these guys terrified at God's power in tearing this veil. That is supernatural. That is amazing. Now, what did tearing of the veil mean? What did it mean to us? 
Because of Jesus' sacrifice once for all, mankind now has direct access to God. That is huge. You don't have to make an appointment. At any time, you can approach the throne of grace. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, a believer can now boldly, I want to emphasize this, boldly enter God's presence. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 19 and 20. Therefore, brethren, I'm going to focus on this word boldness, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. The only way was through the blood of Jesus. It's the Jesus way that allows us to go into the presence of God with our petitions, which he consecrated for us. Now watch what he says. Through the veil that is his flesh. Jesus' flesh was torn to provide a way for humanity to be able to boldly approach the throne of grace. This is a big deal. Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may attain mercy and find grace in our time of need. That word boldly is the word parisia. Doesn't mean anything to you, parisia. But it means this, the freedom in speaking Freely saying all that one thinks without fear or anxiety. No repercussions. God knows what you're thinking. He knows what your needs are. We can be honest before God and boldly approach the throne of grace with our petitions. But this was not the only supernatural thing that happened. The veil was torn and these events happened in sequence. Veil torn and the earthquake, and the rocks were split, and the graves were open all at one time. When Jesus says, it is finished, to telestai, into your hands I commit my spirit, boom, a chain of events occurred that were supernatural. God is getting this world's attention. As a result of the earthquake, the rocks were split. That word is schism. Schism. And it indicates a violent tearing apart or fracturing. All of Jerusalem shook. And I would imagine this world shook when Jesus died. It, it, it got everyone's attention, including the guards. Now think, the supernatural was happening right before the eyes of all these people that crucified Jesus. The supernatural opening of the grave. Now think about this earthquake. It's a giant earthquake. And when an earthquake happens... Everything kind of implodes. Buildings go down. It's a big mess. But with this earthquake, the stones were rolled away from the graves, allowing the people to exit and go into Jerusalem. Supernatural. Supernatural. Some people say coincidence. No, supernatural. Weird stuff. Verse 53. And coming out of the graves, after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Notice it's after the resurrection. Why am I emphasizing that? Because Jesus had to be the first fruits. The first fruits. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. What is first fruits? Well, it's, a, it's one of the feasts that guarantees the harvest. The first fruit of the harvest goes to God with a guarantee of more to come. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection with a guarantee of more to come. These guys are part of that first fruits resurrection, guaranteeing that we will participate in the resurrection. More to come. Very encouraging. 
Now, many Bible scholars, listen to this one, de deny that this event happened. It's only recorded in Matthew. It's such, a, such massive magnitude, it should have been recorded by the others. From my perspective, this was supernatural, unexplainable by human means, shocking to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sure when they saw these people walking around. Weird, supernatural stuff. Think about the centurion in verse 54. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, you bet, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Now, what's a centurion? Who's a centurion? It's a Roman military officer in command of 100 men up to 999 or 1,000. This indicates to me that there were many Roman soldiers present at the crucifixion of Jesus. This guy was in charge of that many. They wanted to make sure that there was no issues going on around the cross. Fear gripped these seasoned Roman soldiers. Now remember, they're accustomed to crucifixion. They are very familiar with this. They participated in many. And also think about this. If you're a Roman soldier, you have to pledge allegiance to Caesar as the number one god in Rome, and then the pantheon of gods that ruled in that culture. Okay, that was an absolute essential thing. These are pantheon Caesar god worshipers. These men had to be stunned by these supernatural events, and it says they feared greatly. Phobio is the word. We get our word phobia from that. To cause, to run away, terrified, frightened. The centurion as men were absolutely impacted by these events. It wasn't just this supernatural stuff. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When he says to the, says to the thief on the cross, this day you shall be with me in paradise. When he says to his mother, or says to John and his mother, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he says, I thirst, it is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. All these are strange things for, for somebody dying on the cross to say. These words impacted these Roman soldiers. And then the super event, supernatural events on top of that. Now, think about this. These are the same guys that beat Jesus, whipped Jesus, spat on Jesus, degraded Jesus, toyed with Jesus, stripped Jesus naked, nailed him to a cross with spikes between in his wrist and his feet. They brutalized him. Now they realize there's something different about this guy that we're crucifying. The centurion and his men were stunned, fearful, supernaturally impacted by Jesus. Their response, truly this was the Son of God. I mean, you talk about changed lives. According to tradition, the centurion became a believer. Luke helps us with this in Luke 23, 47. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. Glorify, doxa, doxa, glory, honor, esteem to God of Israel, this pantheon of God's worshipers is now saying, glory to God. Glory to God. 
a Roman pantheon of God worshipers to the glory of God. What these guys did to Jesus was awful. Now think about this one. If someone did this to your son, it would be unforgivable. You could not forgive. It would, be almost, it would have to be an act of God to forgive. But think about this. Not with God. God's mercy and grace are supernatural. Beyond explanation. And that's what we need, folks, when something egregious has happened in our life. Supernatural power of God giving us the ability to forgive the unforgivable. And we are called to do that. And God will give us the strength, I believe, if we turn to him. So think about this. God's grace and mercy are amazing, and I think we need to be so thankful for that. How he graces us and mercies us. God, and we can also be thankful that God is not like us. I mean, how many, how many casualties would you see in this world if you were God? We would have stuck this thing down, just snuffed out humanity long ago. God is way more gracious and merciful than us. Way more. How about the, the women at the cross? I, I tag these the loyal ladies, LL, loyal, so it just kind of flowed. But anyway, the women. And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering. They were servants of Jesus, ministering to him. Were there looking on from afar? Among them were Mary Magdalene, seven demons were cast out. Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's other places say, uh, say Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. And there's other, a whole bunch of Marys that were there. But the important thing is, is that these women, in my mind, were heroes. Heroes. They did not run. The love these women had for Jesus ran deep into their souls. They weren't going to be moved by this Roman intimidation. They provided necessary support for the ministry of Jesus. In the darkness, they were there. They labored for Jesus. They facilitated Jesus' ministry. The event was frightening. The disciples ran for their lives out of fear. The women loved Jesus. Their love overcame their fear. 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Imagine the women, I just imagine the women were the last at the cross watching Jesus die. They stayed there. And they were the first to the grave. We do know that. Women were an integral part of Jesus' ministry. They were the first ones to see Jesus, Mary Magdalene being the first after the resurrection. And he appeared to the other women and he finally gets to the disciples. Closing thoughts. Now, again, if you do not have an over in your possession, because most of this will not be on the overheads, okay? So please, if you don't have the handout, there's one on the table in the back or grab you a handout. The supernatural marked Jesus' ministry in his death. Jesus' miracles broke the laws of natural science. They were unexplainable. Miracles are when God breaks into the daily and does things that defy the laws of science, the natural laws. There is one thing, hear this. There is someone coming. He's coming who will defy the laws of science. We call him the Antichrist. His system is being promoted today. We've been through this in nauseam many, many times. He will, he will, and I believe he will do genuine signs and wonders that will mesmerize the world.
real signs and wonders. He'll have the full support of Satan. He'll be indwelt by Satan in the middle of the tribulation. Listen to this. 2 Thessalonians 2.9 speaks of these supernatural events. The coming of the lawless one, Antichrist, is, in, is according to the working, the energia of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. These are the exact words used for the miracles that Jesus did. Exact words. And with all unrighteous deception. That's the key word, deception. Satan's calling card is deception. Deception. What are lying wonders? What are lying wonders? They're meant to lead people away from the true Christ. These miracles are meant to divert people's attention away from the true Christ to the Antichrist who's feigning being the true Christ. Okay? That's what they're meant to do. Lead people away. Jesus' miracles, the miracles of God, are always meant to drive people to Christ, to God. That sort of thing. So I want to say something. Be careful, church. Be careful, brothers and sisters. America is experiencing today the onslaught of the gods of this world. Experiencing today. The supernatural, I believe, is going to become more and more commonplace as we near the end of the age. So you must be discerning to the things that you're seeing happening in the culture around us. Don't get mesmerized by the counterfeit. Because something is supernatural does not mean it comes from God. There's all kinds of counterfeits out there. What are we to do as the church? What are we to do as a church? Well, we are to test the spirits where they are of God. 1 John 4.1 and 1 Thessalonians 5.21. 1 John 4.1, beloved, talking to the church, do not believe every spirit. Now, that's a command. That's an imperative in the Greek. That is a command. But you are to test the spirits, whether they are of God. That's incumbent on each one of us. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, test all things, hold fast to what is good, brethren. That word test is dokimozo, dokimozo. And it means to try, to prove, to discern. So you have to be discerning. You have to make a judgment. So how do we test? Test what is said with the word of God. Know the word and test the word. Those who will be deceived will be those who are unfamiliar with the word of God. As we approach the end of the age, believers must, must, must be discerning. Discerning. This is incumbent upon every believer to act with discernment. There is a spiritual gift of discernment that some people have. But every believer has a measure of discernment because they're in the body of Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. So discernment means this. To distinguish, to decide, to judge if something is true or false. Now, why am I emphasizing this? With America in post-Christian apostasy, everybody knows what apostasy means, a falling away from the truth. The true God has been rejected in mass, and the pantheon of false gods has returned to America. Seems weird, doesn't it? Seems strange. Hold on. It gets weirder. And I, in fact... They've been invited to America. 
They've been invited to America. Jonathan Kahn, in his book, Return of the Gods, is where I'm getting this thought, the, the next information, the excerpts from him. And you all have a handout to follow. Now, your handout will be less than what I'm going to share with you today, but you can use it as a template going into the future. The dark trinity of Baal, Ashtra, and Molech have invaded the land and the thinking of the people of America. You wonder why people think the way that they think? They've been given over to the gods of this world who are the antithesis of the true God. America has changed, folks. America is dark. America is wide open to deception. Wide open. When you take the true God out, you take discernment out, and you take righteousness out, and lawlessness abounds. Be discerning. Supernatural, lying wonders, they are coming, and they are coming strong, and they want to control your mind, your thinking. He who controls the mind controls the person. That's why this starts in kindergarten or preschool, being inundated with, with transgender stuff in libraries and in, in classes, and everybody thinks it's so cute and wonderful. It is not. It is not. Satan has an orderly attack. Israel experienced this order. We have experienced this order. And you're going to see this in just a second. Ephesians 6.11 says this, Stand against the wiles of the devil. It's talking about the armor of God in that section. Now, what are the wiles of the devil? They are the schemes of the devil. The word is methodia, the methods. This well-thought-out, orchestrated, orderly process that Satan has to, to deceive people. Well-thought-out. The first God that went to Israel and the first one that came to America to take people away from the true God was Baal. He's called the Possessor. He is the God of the falling away. He came in the early 60s. The removal of the Word of God from schools was a seminal event and change in our country, 1962. The Supreme Court did this, by the way. Thurgood Marshall. Then the removal of God from the public square was the Ten Commandments in 1963. Then we know that Roe v. Wade came in 1973. The nature of Baal is to drive God out of the culture, and listen, out of children's lives and minds. The target of these gods is the children. Is the children. Baal is the god of prosperity. So America started going after prosperity and materialism. You forget the true God, and then you start to focus on the God of self, which is exacerbated by the gods of this world, who will do anything to get you away from the true God. The second one in this pantheon of evil is Ashtra, the second one. In Canaanite mythology, she was spoken of as the wife of Baal. It's the one that Baal and Ashtra is the one that Elijah addressed on Mount Carmel. In ancient Babylon, she was called Ishtar. In Greece, Aphrodite. In Rome, Venus. She is known as the Enchantress. Her point, what she really focuses on, is sexuality. She is known as the prostitute goddess the harlot goddess. We get the word porn from her. The first pornography in the world came from her writings. 
In ancient times, there were images of naked women in clay and stone on walls. She is also, as the culture gets darker, she is also known as the transformer. Now listen to this, the transformer. The, the, the homosexually onslaught of the 80s can be ascribed to her. She transforms what God calls marriage into false homosexual marriage. There's no such thing as a homosexual marriage. There's no such thing as a transgender marriage. They do not exist in the eyes of God. This is made up as the gods of the world have come in and affected our government, our schools, our businesses. The whole thing has been affected. She transforms. One of her ancient stones is engraved this. I am a woman, and then says, I am a man. She has the power to turn a man into a woman and a woman into a man as the culture caves and implodes, plunges into depravity. Ishtar comes. As homosexual arises, its acceptance has given rise to transgenderism. They go hand in hand. Now, I want to ask you a question. If the children are really the focus, and I think they are, I think that Jonathan Kahn is on to something here. What do you think is next? What do you think is the next perversion on the, on the horizon? Pedophilia. Pedophilia. The false gods want your children at an earlier and earlier age. The third one to come, as the world has been prepared for this onslaught of the dark trinity, is Molech. He's the, he's the one that's responsible for the abortion, the offering of children. Molech is called the destroyer. Remember, it has to come in order. Molech could not come until Baal did his thing and Asher did her thing. The culture had to be prepared to kill their children. They wouldn't just kill them right off the bat. There's too much God influence. But as the world, as this country has been given over, more and more of it comes. The demonic realm has implemented an orderly attack, well planned, well thought out, with a history of success. This is how they attacked Israel. This is how they're attacking America today. Now, I want you to think about something. Think really hard about this. Know the time you are living in. God holds us responsible to know the signs of the times. We cannot cover our eyes. We cannot plug up our ears. We cannot pretend things are not changing in this world. We cannot. Matthew 24, 24, for false Christ and false prophets will arise, performing great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, even if possible, the elect. America, because their belief in the true God, now listen to this, America passed because they were built on Judeo-Christian ethics. The, the gods of this world were exorcised, not exorcised, exorcised, cast out of America as the true God became prominent. But now as the people have volitionally rejected the true God, the doors are open for the return of these gods, and they're coming with a vengeance to extract vengeance on America. That is what is happening. This has changed, folks, and these gods are coming. They want your children their goal is to change the children and destroy the children. This is where we are today. Now, go back hundreds of years. With the time when Israel forgot God. 
722 B.C., the ten northern tribes go into captivity, Assyrian captivity. 586 B.C., Judah and Benjamin don't, don't, they haven't learned from what has happened to the ten northern tribes. So they go into captivity. America, built on Judeo-Christian ethics and foundation, has abandoned the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, have embraced the other gods. What do you think our destiny is going to be? Do you think God is going to wink at the sins of America? No. No, they won't. No, they won't. Now, thinking about what has happened recently in the papers, now, I don't know if you saw this or not, but in Indiana, now, Indiana is a free state. Remember when, it, when the COVID was going on, you went down to Indiana to eat lunch, okay? COVID isn't going to get you there, but it's going to get you here. Well, this is what happened there. A transgender child was removed from a Christian family because they refused to use the appropriate pronouns. This is Indiana, not California or New York. Indiana. This is the story. In 2019, the Cox's son informed them that he had he identified as a girl. He's 15 years old. But because of their religious belief that God creates humans being with having an immutable sex, male or female, they could not refer to their child using the pronouns. That the, that the child insisted on. In 2021, leap forward two years, so there's in the family, there's conflict going on. In 2021, when the child is 17, the Indiana Department of Child Services gets involved. And they're responding to two reports that they were suspected of abusing their child. Now, where do you think these two reports came from? Two reports. The child developed an eating disorder, which they attributed to parental abuse. In 2021, the child was taken from his parents and placed in a foster care system with a pronoun proper family. In 2022, the, appearance of, the parents appealed this decision. The state government subsequently dropped the, the abuse allegations against the couple, though it still argued that the disagreement over gender identity was distressing the child and was contributing to the ongoing eating disorder. Subsequent court decisions upheld the decision to keep the child out of the Cox's hands. Now, with the passing of time, the child turned 18 and the case was dropped. Some facts. Think about this. 70% of individuals with gender dysphoria have serious mental comorbidities and severe anxiety depression, and eating disorders. The gods of this world want your children. That is what is happening. If a person turns away from the true God and opens the door to this pantheon of God, this is what happens. Now, what is our hope? Now, this has been a downer. This isn't one of your perky, perky, perky talks. This is a downer talk, but it gets better. I hope it gets better. Anyway, so what do we do? We have hope because of Jesus. He is our hope. He is our rescue, and he is our only hope. So what are we to do as the people of God? Pray for revival of God's people. I'm talking about the church to be revived because much of the church is bought into this rhetoric for the church to be revived. And then pray for transformation of our culture 
that the Spirit of God will move from coast to coast and change the hearts of families and people so they won't be caught up in this awfulness, this tragedy. Pray that God would cleanse America by His presence. This might be painful, folks, but pray that God will change us. With the return of the gods, the supernatural lying signs and wonders will increase. The attack on the culture will increase. Be discerning. Be alert. Be ready to engage with the truth. The truth. This is not time, folks, for timid Christianity. We've said this many, many times here. This is not a time for us to live in any fear whatsoever. You have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, rod of iron up your spine. You have the power to stand. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will do this. You are God. This is not time to bend our knee to any demonic God or philosophy that are counter to the true God. It's time to stand, folks, with the Holy Spirit's power. Be a Daniel who stood in Nebuchadnezzar, foreign God, worshiper, and stood for the true God. Be an Elijah who Mount Carmel defeated the Baals and the Ashtras. Be a Moses who, who, who directed the attack, the God's attack, on Pharaoh and the ten Ten false gods that were permeating their culture. Be a Paul and deal with the demonic realm. Stand up, church, for the living God. These are only answer, our only hope. So what do we do? How do we do this? Number one is watch. 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 The word is Gregorio. Gregorio. Watch. Refrain from sleep. Don't be lulled into falling asleep as the culture implodes. Be mindful of the impending danger. So if you are watching, then you are called a watchman. Yes, and this is what a watchman does. Watchman, you are standing guard. Now this dude is, is ready. He is watching what's going on, and he's ready to sound the alarm. Now again, if you're a watchman, you want to make sure the enemy's coming and not say, no, they're coming. No, they're not. They're coming. No, they're not. You've got to be sure of what you're saying. Sure of what you're saying. Now the next picture is 1 Corinthians. Tells us what to do. 16, 13, and 14. Watch. Key word. Stand fast in the faith, church. Be brave, church. Be strong, church, and then this is key. Let everything you do be done with love. You have to have the right attitude, love. Now, I want you to think about this. There are many people that hear the warning. There are many people who do not want to hear the warning. There are many people that say, this is too scary. This is too difficult. This is, this is too big of a downer. Jeremiah experienced that. Jeremiah the prophet had the responsibility to have no one listen to him, by the way. He had no converts, except maybe his, his, his scribe. And yet he, he gives this warning to the nation of Israel. They said to him, We will not listen to you, Jeremiah, know your God. And these are Jews. 
We're not going to listen to you telling us about what God's going to do. We're going to believe the false prophets. We're going to believe the false teachers who are telling us everything's going to be okay, Jeremiah. You're the only one that's a downer. You're the only one telling us this negative stuff. Now, I have a picture here of someone in our culture that says, don't tell me about this stuff. Don't tell me about this downer stuff. I don't want to hear this anymore. It's too depressing. It's too discouraging. Folks, we want to hear the Word of God, and then we want to respond to the Word of God, and not pretend everything is okay. Now, we have a chance here. We have a chance. There's an election coming up. I would encourage, George turned me on to this, I would encourage everyone that has the ability to vote. Vote for the one that you have a freedom to vote for whoever you want to vote for. But you are men and women of God. It kind of tilts really strong in a direction. It does. Where it's tilting, it might not be too appealing to everybody, but it's tilting. We have no choice. The supernatural, folks, is coming. So watch. Be prepared. Be discerning. Be strong in your God. How are you going to be strong in your God? Spend time in His Word. Spend time with one another. Be involved in a small group, a, a group of people that you can do life with, that you can ask questions about. You know, like in our group, we ask questions about the teaching. I'm sure there'll be plenty tonight. And now I want you to do this. Now you've seen this before. You've seen this dude before. But do this. Stand like a bull in the blizzard. I don't care what the philosophies are. I'm going to stand for my God. And I always like this picture because notice the stability on this thing. I mean, nothing's moving this guy. I mean, these guys, I mean, they are solid. Solid. That's you. Now, it might not be pretty, but it's us. Bull in the blizzard time. Folks, watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. And then do this. Let everything you do be done in love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the wonders of your word. Lord, I know this wasn't the most uplifting of talks, but it is necessary that we know what is coming. Jonathan Kahn did a great job with this book, Lord. I thank you for this information that he's given. It really paints a picture of what happened in Israel and what is happening in America today. May our hearts and minds be open to the reality of what's going on around us. There is spiritual warfare going on, really accelerating in this country. May we, as the people of God, not buy into the rhetoric of the culture, but stand for the word of God. And may we do this with loving kindness to the world that is around us. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity to teach the word of God, to hear the word of God, and to heed the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen.